let's turn to God and ask his presence here as we open his word. Dear Father in heaven, it is amazing and wonderful that we here on earth, creatures frail, uh, quickly passing, we can at this moment address an eternal, personal God, a God who knows us intimately, a God who is here now in a special way through thy promise, through Jesus Christ. And dear Father, we turn to thee for everything, for all that we need for life, dear Father, to be satisfied in the inmost man. Dear Father, we have such a great need to hear the truth, dear Father, to experience the love that comes from thee. And we know that it starts in the pages of this book. The relationship with thee starts through the reading of this word and the believing on it, dear Father. And we ask, dear Father, for those that have not experienced this, that do not have such a relationship with a personal God who knows and loves them, we pray that that would begin now, that they would realize their need. Dear Father, those of us that have walked with thee, we know that the water of this word, the, the the sustenance that we receive from it, that we eat and drink, as was said this morning, we need that to live, dear Father. Help us, minister to us too. Help us to walk in a way that honors thee, dear Father. We, we want nothing of this world and what it has this moment, dear Father, we realize in the light of what we read this morning that it will pass, that now is the time to respond to the truth. Now is the time to build, to lay up treasures in heaven. Dear Lord, help us. We're weak, dear Father. We need that strengthening from above. For those of us that are not uh, here today or gathered with us this afternoon, be with them, dear Father. Bless them and help them to strengthen them, be their guide and their stay. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd like to read from the second epistle of John which is almost at the end of the Bible. The second epistle of John, I think it's the fourth last book. Very short, it goes like this. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. 
Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. I read the whole letter. I can't uh, remember ever hearing a sermon uh, from the second epistle of John, not commonly preached on, but it's here and it's in the Bible and there's a reason it's here. It's part of the word of God. It's part of what we need to um, meditate upon and think about. And it is a curious letter in some ways. You look at the, the opening introduction there. There's no, actually no specific names mentioned here, but it's understood. It's been passed down that this is a letter from the Apostle John, the elder. He writes in a way that those receiving the letter, they, they, they know who it is by him simply saying the elder. And he's probably, at this point, a very old man, maybe 90 plus. He was the only one of those 12 uh, or those apostles, the 11 apostles that uh, died a natural death, uh, as it's reported in commonly in tradition. And he addresses this letter in a curious way unto the elect lady and her children. And I believe it's a, a church, a church or maybe a group of churches. And I think the clue is in the last part here in verse 13, the children of thy elect sister greet thee. I think it's, it's a church. I think it's a an endearing, a poetic way almost to address a church. You think about that. The elect lady and her children. The chosen lady. You have to, have to think about our church. If, if we were personified, if we had, uh, um, you know, we were addressed in this way, what would be our personality traits or our characteristics as a church? The elect lady and her children. Maybe he doesn't even mention names in this because of the possibility of persecution. We know John ended, or I don't know if he ended, but the latter part of his life, he was on the Isle of Patmos for the Lord. He was, he was actually imprisoned. He was exiled to an island where there were no uh, very few other people, a barren and rocky island, because of the word of the Lord, that he was such a, uh, a useful vessel in God's kingdom. And so maybe he doesn't put names here for a particular reason or, or, or address. But in this short letter, the thing that stands out to me and the thing that I'd like to meditate upon is these two things that are intertwined and inseparable, truth and love. If you read this letter, you can't help but seeing how they're mentioned, truth and love, truth and love continually. And, and it's consistent with John's other epistles, too. Truth and love are inseparable. And wherever one has been focused on, the other one has withered eventually. And uh, 
we can see it in the Bible. We can see it in the, that was the, the road the Pharisees went down, that they focused on truth, the truth of the law. We got to keep everything exactly, uh, um, precisely. And they missed love. Jesus had to remind them after they harshly judged the people that he was, was with. He said, why is your master uh, eating with sinners? And Jesus said, they that are whole don't need a physician. I come to, to, to help the sinners. He says, but he, then he turned around and told them, you go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And he was quoting Hosea, the prophet Hosea, and the whole, that verse continues on, and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. See, what had happened was with the Pharisees, by focusing so much on the truth as they understood it, the law that was delivered to them, and, and fulfilling it as much as they could, and neglecting love, they in the end missed the deeper truth. They didn't even understand who God was, where his heart was at. They didn't even respond the way that he would want them to respond, and they missed the deeper truth of, of, of who God is, the knowledge of God. So in the end, both truth and love wither when one is neglected. And it goes the other way, and we see that today too. The other way around is, is when the focus is on love and the truth is the thing that withers. I, as I was driving to church this morning, I saw on the back of a car, and it's, we know what month this is. This is June, and there's a lot of displays about celebrations of, of uh, pride as the, the common... Um, terminology used and and the the bumper sticker was love is love and it was kind of had a rainbow splash and so you kind of knew, knew what the statement was love is love and I suppose what they were trying to say by that is is doesn't matter what type or form the relationship takes it's all good and they are focusing on what they think is love to the withering of truth and the truth that God did make us as men and as women separate that we are individuals created in God's image, but created as men and women from the beginning of creation. And there's nothing that can, no amount of dogma or teaching that can change that fundamental truth. And that love, quote unquote, this love is love and we just wanna affirm you and affirm your truth and your experience is not love. It's not really love. It's a weak sort of anemic love that I have to think how many of, of the people who parrot that line are really doing so because they don't want to be ostracized. They don't want to be um, canceled or whatever it is. They, they want to just go along with whatever the good um, quote unquote the teaching of the day is and they miss the deeper truth and that love is not the real love. It's not a love that cares for the well-being of people. You see truth and love are inseparable. They are part of God. They are God's character. God's character is inseparable. It's not you can take one aspect of him and he is one integral, holy, whole being. And when one is favored over the other, we just have to love people and ignore the truth. In the end, it's not real love. And when we pursue the truth and the truth only and forget love, then it, that truth gets twisted and distorted and corrupted. And this, I think this is there's a specific reason that John is writing this, this letter, as we'll see. But I think those two things are intertwined in this letter, truth and love. And I have to think for myself, too. How many times do I, in my uh, blindness, focus on one and neglect the other? Or, really, neglect both? 
the elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. See? And not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. This is the amazing thing about, you know, we're not talking about generic concepts of truth and love here. We're talking about very specific things in the Bible. Phil said last week that Jesus Christ changes everything. And really, it's because of Jesus Christ that we now understand really what truth means and what love means. He changes everything. The truth that's in, in this short little epistle, the, the gospel is encapsulated. That, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, verse 7, and that we need to walk in this truth and that this truth and love will be with us forever. This truth and love are very specific. It's the truth of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done, where he is now, that truth. And the love that's woven into all that too, that because of love he did what he did. Because of love the Father sent forth his Son. Those are the specific things, and that's the, that is the truth that really binds together. You know, this world's strategy, as we see this month and, and you know, with the way things are going, is, is a, a papering over of differences. Of a, Well, you have your truth and I have my truth and we'll just kind of pat each other on the back and really go our separate ways. But the truth of the Bible is the ultimate unifying truth as you and I rejoice in that common truth that God has saved us. He's freed us from sin. We rejoice in that together. We glory in it together. And that, that creates the real unity, the real love. You see how, how intertwined those things are? It's the moment one starts to be neglected, one part of that truth starts to be left off, the love starts to diminish. That unity, that commonality we share, that ground is being chipped away and they both fall apart together. So truth and love together are, are, are needed. And that's why all those, he says, not I only, I, I'm not the only one who love you, but also all they that have known the truth. All of us who know the truth of, of revealed in the word of God through Jesus Christ, that is what binds us together. And then he's saying, he gives the reason why I'm writing, for the truth's sake, I have to think to myself, how many times do I deliberately do things for the truth's sake? I'm doing this for the truth's sake, for the, for the furtherance, the propagation of what I know to be true. I, I'm not always conscious of it, and I look back and say, we're doing this correctly, we, we're doing this, we're making a right choice here, we believe this is to be true. But how, um, how much of my actions, my decisions, do I filter through that, is this for the truth's sake? Is this to further what I understand to be true? what I believe or is it this feels good I want to do this make this decision because it's the right you know this is the best for us this is the most convenient this is the thing that's going to be work out the easiest for us the most comfortable or is it for the truth's sake that I'm doing these things as he is writing also which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever this truth this eternal truth even the, the standard benediction, the, the opening blessing that all of the epistles, you see that how they all open. Similarly, grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Again, intertwines that, that, that common benediction, those two things he wants to focus, uh, us to focus on. 
I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. He's, he's so thankful and so happy that they are walking in the truth. This is a consistent thing. It's not something we embraced one time and we have a good doctrine laid out on our webpage, but we are walking in this truth and that is a cause for rejoicing of the apostle. And then he turns around and he says, now I beseech thee, I plead, I plead with you. You may be walking in the truth, now walk further in love. I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. So one thing is, is good, the other thing may be lacking. They need to be both together grown. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. So now we come to the specific reason I think he wrote this epistle. It's verses 7 through 11. The challenge of the time was that, uh, and he addresses this in, in the first epistle, epistle uh, in more depth, is that there were those teachers, false teachers, going around in the early church, in the different churches, spreading a false gospel that Jesus Christ had not come in the flesh. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. And their teaching was that because God is a spirit, there is no way that, that if Jesus is God that he could really have been in the flesh. He was some sort of material apparition. And you and I standing now 2,000 years removed from that, we may think, well, that's not such a, such a big deal. And what's, what are the implications? It's very big. When we deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, first of all, whenever we deny God's way of revealing himself, we are in effect denying him himself. We're saying, no, God, you aren't really say who you say you are. You have not really accomplished salvation in the way you have. This is not just a, some doctrinal um, uh, fine point, some, something that has to be debated by the theologians. It goes to the nature of God himself, of who he is. It's like me saying to you, I don't really believe you say who you are. You're, you're someone else. You're, I'll tell you who you are. Your name is not so on and so forth. How insulting would that be to, to you and to me if someone were to come to us and say that? This goes to the very uh, the nature of God, of, of how we accept who he is. I th also think it has implications for our Christian walk in this flesh. I think the modern equivalent would be saying, in effect, well, you can believe the gospel in your head, but it really doesn't have to come out in your flesh. You can live in a fleshly way. God's grace will cover everything. I think maybe that would be the modern equivalent. And that's that Gnostic teaching, it kind of went that way. They had this duality, this, well, we have a spiritual plane, we have a physical plane, and we can do things on the physical plane, and they don't really affect the spiritual plane. That's kind of how that teaching devolved. And I think that's the modern manifestation of it. John is writing this letter because he wants the church to understand that such false teachers should not be uh, um, encouraged, should not even be welcomed. And he's pretty severe about it. You read, he says, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, the, the doctrine of that Christ has come in the flesh, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Now, this is not just a casual thing. This is a welcoming of false teachers, a, 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 a allowing them that space to, to propagate that false teaching, um, to greet them. Uh, it's not a casual kind of a high and by sort of thing. It's 
you are partaking of their evil deeds by allowing this false, prop, this false doctrine to propagate. This is a reminder to me that love is not conflict averse. So often, um, I'm conflict averse. I don't like a sticky situation. I don't like when things get awkward. But if I really love the truth, if I really love the other person, I'm not going to be bullheaded or, or, or pigheaded or whatever the term is. And argumentative, that's not what I'm getting at. But we will make a stand for the truth because we love that other person, because we care deeply about them and, and where they're going and, and the decisions they make. It's not a matter of, well, you have your differences. Let's not talk about it. We're getting in touchy territory. The Lord has to work on that in me, that, that, that true um, non-separation of truth and love, that I am able to speak the truth in love and I'm able to love in truth. That's John's desire for this church, is that they, you know, the typical Christian thing would be, well, welcome everyone, you know, whoever comes, a stranger comes and welcome him. That's all good, that's in the Bible, that's, that's the way we ought to behave. But when someone comes bearing a false doctrine and propagates it, and is propagating it, they should not be welcome. And he, he wanted to, to make that clear to the church, and I think the particular reason he wrote was because of that. It kind of goes back to my thinking about our church this elect lady, if we were personified as a, as a particular individual, our church, or our group of churches, what would be our characteristic traits? I hope and pray that truth and love would be defining characteristics. I think it's, it's not only, um, it's in every aspect. It's how we interact with each other. It's how we interact with the world around us, that we stand for truth in a confusing, lost, dark world but that we also are a beacon of love, and that among ourselves, our relationships with each other too are relationships marked by truth and love, that we can speak truth to each other in a, in a loving, meaningful way. And I think that's God's plan. That's the, the doctrine of Christ, the Christ who has come in the flesh. I think as we pursue this, our joy will be full. I think we will um, be practicing and living in the gospel. May the Lord grant us the, the clarity to see where we're not walking in truth, where we're not walking in love, and to make the necessary correction. May God bless his word and, and anything else that uh, was not said. May he add. Would a brother please find a hymn? My mind goes many different places for the, the closing. We possess in Jesus Christ the greatest truth and the greatest love. We have the greatest treasure. This world needs it. It needs us to live in a way where that truth and that love are never separated, that they are together and they are one. My mind goes this morning to the, the message about laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven and then the passage uh, about the servants laboring for the Lord. I think as we labor in that truth and love, even amongst ourselves and build that and, and, and draw others to it, those, the treasures in heaven will be laid up. Then when we see Christ in his full revelation, the truth and the love, what a joy, what a, what a wonder that will be. Conversely, if we 
neglect truth or love in one part or another, the warning from John here is, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. As we love the truth, as we exercise that, as we live it, uh, we will look forward to the coming, the return of the Lord with joy. And may he help us to, to prepare for that. And my friend outside of Christ, who have not embraced that fully, please realize this moment that that's the greatest thing, Jesus Christ, that you could, uh, you could embrace and change your life. Everything changes with Jesus Christ. With that, we conclude the service and we commend you to God's grace until we meet again.